Hello and welcome to the podcast from Holy Trinity Westerhales. We're delighted that you've joined us for this week's podcast and pray that you would be blessed through it. This is, oh my, what on earth happened there? He did oh, not we're watch the this. Wand. He did not hit the wand. He was able to back off, but the pole slipped. The skis were running so fast. He has to reset his focus now. This is a real mental chest. Oh. And Meyer, the distraction oh. is clearly affecting no. the Austrian here. He's low, he's late. He's fighting against the mountain. That usual flow and ease that he demonstrates with his ski racing has disappeared on these top turns. He's only lost 1100s, and we know the skill set of this individual. We can't write this run off yet. Line error off the sugar jump. Oh, and, and then again. catching a gate just before the roller coaster rollover. How uh, much has he lost so far? 0.24. That's still not a lot of time. Oh, and there's another big heavy edge. Human instinct tells the ski racer that when the error comes, that he's got to find another gear to catch up. And that over-trying sensation can often take away the flow and the balance. 0.23. Well, if anybody can find a quarter of a second, Meyer is the man with the skills. Meyer, in and out of Canyon. So tight in the tuck. He's attacked this track. He has made mistakes. It hasn't been perfect, but is he going to make it up? Last flight into the tuck position. Target time, 1.20.36, oh. and he's made it! Can you believe that? Matthias Meyer in one of the roughest, toughest, most aggressive runs that we have seen on this track. But the aggression from Meyer pays well, I thought we'd start off with a bit of Winter Olympics. I don't know if you've been watching the Winter Olympics. Uh, maybe you've been catching at least on the on the news and watching some of the highlights. I don't think we've... we've have we won a medal yet? Nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. But that was... Um uh, Matthias Meyer and uh, a wee picture of him will uh, come up on the on the screen. And he entered into the, the the skiing hall of fame because he became the first person ever to get a gold medal at in an alpine skiing event at three successive Olympic events. And so he is he's now going to be a legend like sort of forever. Um, but. The start of his race, I don't know if you caught it, was a disaster because he's standing on the start line and the beeps start, be, you know, you can be, be ready to go. And on the second beep, he loses his pole, has to go and grab his pole, loses his balance, and then has to set off. And so you heard the commentators the whole way down, that's a disastrous start. If you're going to win a race like this, you need a re you've got it, you're in the Olympics, you've got to get a good start if you want to win. Turns out that's not true. <laughs> because it's not how you start, it's how you, it's how you finish that really matters. And when it comes to faith, and faith in God, it's not so much how you start, it's how you finish that really matters. Last week, we kind of left off with the thought um, that all these people that they were listing, listing people after people that we read about in the Bible as people who are examples to us of faith, and we were learning last week, actually, they were a pretty messed up bunch, but they put their faith in God. And all of them, all of them were living by faith when they died. When they, were, when they started off in life, when they were young, some of them were not living by faith. But all of them, at the end of their lives, were living by faith. 
And so we want to kind of pick up that theme. So we're going to ask God, we're going to turn to Hebrews 11 and uh, pick up from verse 20, which is some of the names that we're going to read about. And in Hebrews 11, we we just get little nuggets as we go along. I hope I'll be able to explain them and God will give me help um, to do that and why they're included here in this hall of faith. So let's just bow our heads. Father God, we need your help because you're the one who opens our eyes, opens our ears, opens our understandings to what you would say to us. We believe your word. Your word is true, and it applies to us now. It can equip us to live our lives. And so for each one of us, Lord, we want to be equipped to live our lives, whether we're just starting off in life or we're coming to the end of our lives. We want to live our lives according to your word. So help us to understand your word. And so may the speaker decrease so that Jesus Christ of Nazareth would increase, for we ask it in his holy name. Amen. So um, let's, read, let's read verse 20. Let's, let's read a few verses there. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. So we'll start here. Um, I don't know if you notice a running theme through these three verses when we read uh, about here Jacob and Joseph uh, and Isaac. Do you see a common theme uh, running through them? You will notice as you read Hebrews chapter 11 that the writer doesn't tell you very much about them, and he kind of assumes you already know their stories. And that kind of is a sadness today that I can't assume that. If I go into, if I go into Clovinstone Primary School and I'm teaching the, I've got to assume they have never, ever heard even a basic story of, of Jesus. I've got to explain that to them. And so we can't assume that. I think that's a sadness today that people don't know just some of the very simple stories that perhaps you're reading that and maybe you had the privilege of growing up in church. You got to go to a Sunday school uh, or a Sunday club and you heard, and you, you go, I know, I remember these stories, but there's so many who don't know these stories. I think that's a serious thing. I was reading a, um, a book this week. Uh, I just finished it. And it's all about the history of what God did uh, in the 19th century at Corubba's Close Mission in the center of Edinburgh and some of the revivals that went on there that God just changed the city through what God was doing uh, in his people there. And some amazing things were happening. I was reading some amazing stories. But this is the the thing I thought I'd share with you this morning, because there was just three of them working at at first, these three men, and they were concerned for Edinburgh and going, nobody knows about God. You think think it's bad now. It was even worse at, at this point. And so they did a little survey, and they were quite concerned that there would be some children who wouldn't know some of the stories of Jesus and some of the stories of the Bible. So they did a survey, and they found out, and they wrote this down, they said, we found out there was nearly a 1,000 children that didn't know about Jesus and wasn't getting taught anything about Jesus. Now, as I say that to you, you'd be go, maybe you've just gone, so what? <laughs> just a 1,000 well, this man, as soon as he saw that, he left his job and said, it's going to be my life mission in order for those thousand children that they would hear about Jesus because the Spirit was just was, was pulling at him because he heard a figure like that. 
Now, I don't know what the figure is for Edinburgh right now. I have a feeling. It may be tens or hundreds of thousands. <laughs> I wonder if we get the same. People need to know about Jesus. People need to know God's word because even as I'm telling you these stories, there's, there's probably things you don't, you don't know about. And hopefully I'll be able to help you today just with the simple things that we read here in Hebrews. And we read in verse 20 um, about these, well, as we talk about these three people, you'll notice what links them. It's all about the end of their lives. When uh, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, if you know the story, you'll know he was an old man. He was almost blind. And that was how Jacob tricked him into giving his blessing because he was so blind and, and was going deaf as, as well. And so all these people are coming to the end of their lives. And it's showing us the example of what it means to have faith at the end of your life. So the first section today is all about what that means. What does it mean to have faith at the end of your life? And, and I'm going to talk about three things. Verse 20, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. What does it mean to have faith in God at the end of your life? Well, one of the things it consists of is making sure there's a future for your family. Because faith is not something that just floats around in the ether. Faith is tremendously practical. Faith is shown by the things you do. It's shown in action. And so here we have the story of Isaac, and he's blessing Jacob and Esau, and he gives the firstborn blessing to Jacob. He's tricked him. And Esau comes to his father. Father, have you not got a blessing for me? And Isaac says, well, what more can I give you? But he does bless. He does actually bless Esau. And he says, even though you're going to serve your younger brother because I've given that blessing, yet he still gave him hope. He says, yet you're going to come of age and you're going to throw off the yoke of your brother and be free. And so he still gives him hope. And as he's passing on this blessing to these two boys, remember he's an old man now, he wants to bless them. He's securing their future. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, he writes to his young, uh, a young minister called Timothy. And he says to him, pretty sharp words. He says, anyone, okay, who doesn't look after their own family and, and provide for their own family, their own relatives, is worse than the pagans. <laughs> you say, read that. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's pretty strong words coming from the Apostle Paul. In other words, he's saying that part of your faith is securing a future for your family. That is not an ungodly thing to do. That is a godly thing to do. Very practical. Let's read on to the next one. Verse 21. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, so again, they're at the end of their lives, he blessed each of Joseph's sons. So he's not just blessing his children. He's blessing his children's children as well, his grandchildren. And he worshipped as he leaned on top of his staff, <laughs> which is a strange sort of sentence. Why does, why does that get included in there? Because Worship, facing the end of our lives, consists in keeping worship as central to who we are and what we're called to do and what we're going to be doing for all eternity. And Jacob, 
he worshipped as he leaned. He was an old man, and his staff was now his, probably his walking stick. It may be a sign of that he was still worshipping God while he was still unsteady on his feet. He was still going to get up. I'm still going to go for it, and I'm still going to go for, for God. There might be something else to that, the fact that he worshipped as he leaned on his staff. Uh, Lorna Tweedy was sharing a teaching from a guy called Dutch Sheets. He, um, he has a, a podcast. I think it's called Give Me 15. And he said, give me 15 minutes and I'll teach you the Bible every day. I'll teach you the Bible. And uh, he, says, he says an interesting thing. He says, um, this, is, this is a quote here, God's promises played a vital role in the everyday lives of God's people. As the children of Israel moved from Egypt to the promised land, God instructed them to set up memorial stones at various places where he supernaturally met their needs. These memorials stood as a visible testimony of the faithfulness of God to his promise. In Bible time, shepherds had a unique way of displaying their testimony. As part of their passage to manhood, each shepherd were given his own staff. He used that staff not only to shepherd sheep, but also to chronicle the victories of his life. It became a reminder of God's promises carried in his hand. If you imagine the shepherds out in the hills, you read many stories about that in the Bible. So this is a shepherd people. All these people are looking after sheep. That's what they do for a living. They've all been given as a young man, this shepherd's crook, if you like. It's usually used to guide sheep. As they get older, maybe it becomes their walking stick. And on it, you can just imagine them carving, just marking out where God has fulfilled a promise to them. God's done something. And as they're telling their stories around the campfire, they've got little reminders there that God did this. God spoke to me about this. God met me there and telling everyone else about that. And so there's this idea of, of leaning on your staff, of leaning on the promises of God. That's what we do. God's promised it. I'm going to lean in on that. And so what does it mean? What does faith facing the end of your life consist of? It means, it means not just keeping worship central, but leaning on the promises of God that God has made you, that those promises of God do not die out at the end of your life, God's promises are true right to the end. And then finally in this first section we read, by faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. What a bizarre verse. <laughs> I mean, that is weird, isn't it? Why, why, I mean, I can understand it being written as history in the Old Testament, but this is in the hall of faith that Joseph, when his end was near, he spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt. I'm okay with that. And then he gave instructions about his bones. It's there for a reason. Actually, his father, Jacob, had also given instructions about his bones. He'd said, I do not want my bones to be buried uh, in Egypt, I want them to be buried with my forefathers, with Abraham, with the patriarch. I, I, I want them to be buried there. But Jacob's story doesn't get mentioned in the Hall of Faith. Joseph's story does. And the only difference I can find between those two stories is the Hebrew word that is used when they give instructions about the bones. Because in the first case, Jacob, he gives instructions about his bones, and he uses the Hebrew word kivru, which means to bury, sort of downward motion. But when Joseph gives instructions about the bones, 
he uses a different Hebrew word. He used vaha, I don't know if I'm saying it right, alitem, which means to lift up, indicating an upward motion. That's the only difference I can tell between the two, the two stories. But I think it's significant. It must be significant as why would it be included in the New Testament? Why we would be reminded about him giving instructions about his bones? What's the difference? Jacob, when he gives instructions about his bones, he's doing that very human thing of saying, when I get buried and you're going to bury my bones, I want to be buried with my family. That's, that's a totally normal thing to want. You, you may have something in your will that says, I'm going to be buried in a burial plot next to a husband, a wife, a parent. Par- par- that's, that's totally normal. I, 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 I do, I've done so many, so many uh, funerals. I've gone to the graveside. I've, I, I, we, we've, we've put ashes in the ground so that they're near a family. So, so that, that, is, that is a completely normal thing to want to happen, but it is not an example of faith. It's just a thing you would want to happen. But when, jo- when Joseph requests it, he asks that his bones be lifted up. And I don't think I'm le- reading too much into it to say that what is the hope that Hebrews speaks about here? What's the hope that they're all living for? They're living for something in the future. And the hope that we know in the New Testament is the hope that we will be bodily raised. Even Job the first book of the Bible that was ever written, he said, in my flesh, I will see God. This is the hope he has. I believe it's the hope Joseph has. And so when he says, I'm giving instructions for my bones to be lifted up, it is a a future hope. Yes, about the exodus that they're they're going to escape from Egypt, but it's also about a future hope that they have. And so faith at the end of your life consists in securing your future beyond the grave. And how do you do that? You do that through faith in Christ, because all this is pointing to Christ. And because Jesus was was buried and he was put in the tomb and he rose again to life, that's the hope that we have, that we too will be raised bodily. And so faith at the end of life What does it consist of? These three things. Taking care of your family, securing a future for your family. It consists in passing on a blessing. Passing on a blessing to that next generation. It involves worshiping God right to the end and saying, God, I'm following you and leaning on God's promises. It involves making sure you're securing your future beyond the grave through faith in Jesus Christ and a bodily resurrection. That's the first thing. The other two are going to be very brief because I took a long time on that one. Let's read on. Verse 23. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child, And they were not afraid of the king's edict. And by faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be ill-treated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. Did you hear that? He chose to be ill-treated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin 
for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer, remember the angel of death, the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. And so we see here that this is faith in the face of impending danger or threat. Maybe you're thinking, I'm not facing the end of, your, of my life right now. That doesn't apply to me. I will ask you, how do you know that? <laughs> Who told you? It's not. But maybe you're facing something in life right now, impending danger or threat in your life. That's what the story of Moses speaks about here, the constant danger that they're facing, constant threat, And we read about this amazing thing I've I've sort of highlighted there. He persevered, he kept going, he kept his faith in God because he saw him who is invisible. Now, God is invisible. We know that, Jesus taught that. That means we can't see God with these eyes. (laughs) No matter how much you squint, you you won't see God that way. But you can see God through the eyes of faith, but it is true just to increase our faith, that there have been moments in history. Maybe there's been moments in your life where the invisible has suddenly become visible, where God has just torn back the fabric of the universe, and suddenly you've seen what the reality is, that there is not just what you see here and everything you can touch, but there really is a God, and there really is a spirit realm and just sometimes in history, people got to see that. You, you'll maybe remember the story of Elisha, the prophet Elisha. And he is facing impending threat because the king of Aram has come to capture him and imprison him. And he's found out he's in this city. A city in them days might have only been a couple of hundred people. And we read this in, uh, if we go into the next, here you go. This is Second Kings 6. It says, Elisha has a servant. He's, uh, he's a servant of the man of God. And uh, they get up in the morning. So when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. They're in trouble. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than are with them. He's got an army coming after him. His odds are bad, (laughs) okay. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes. And he prays that the servant would suddenly have his eyes open, that he would see what was invisible. Open his eyes so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw, saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Suddenly he gets this glimpse. Do you know that God commands his angels concerning his people? 
There's, there's actually a few stories you probably know really well. You, you, you maybe know, you know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel. They're the ones that get thrown into the fiery furnace because they refuse to worship the king in Babylon. And they refuse to bow down to other gods and they say, we won't do it. We won't do it. No matter what you do to us, know this, we will not bow down to you. And he gets in range and the king throws them into the fiery furnace. And they're in the middle of this fire. They should be burnt up like that. And then all of a sudden they see one that looks like a son of man walking with them. And the other people see it as well. And they're completely unharmed. They're walking in the fire. And the king commands that they get taken out of the, out of the fire. And they don't even smell of fire. Who was walking with them? It was the pre incarnational Christ walking with them in the fire there protecting them do you know how protected you are do you remember when Anne shared testimony I've seen Anne over there in testimony when uh, in her stair in the block of flats here in Wester Hills and she's going up the stairs and she sees an angel dressed as, as a centurion at a particularly difficult time do you know how protected you are right up until the point God calls you home? You are totally protected by God. And so if you're facing impending threat or danger, you can put your faith in God because nothing can harm you until God says that's, that's time ultimately, until that's your time. And you have a future ahead of you beyond this world. Have we got time very quickly for one more? Let's read this last couple of verses we read earlier that Anne read to us. By faith, verse 29, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched round them for seven days. And by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And so we get three just very quick, super fast stories. We don't get told much about the story, but you maybe know something. But you know the kind of common theme that runs through them. It, it's face facing impossible odds. The people of God, they, had, they were escaping from Egypt. And the Egyptians had let them go at first, but then they suddenly went, whoa, we've lost all our slave labor here. And so they sent the army, which would have been the biggest army in the world at that time, and they sent them with their chariots after the people of God. And the people of God, they'd got a few miles away, and they suddenly find themselves in front of the Red Sea. And the Red Sea is right in front of them. They're going nowhere. Huge army behind them, a sea before them. And what does God do? He parts the sea, and they walk through on dry land, facing impossible Odds, they put their faith in God. Moses got his staff out, <laughs> remember the staff, <laughs> and put it down in the water. God parted the sea. Who else did we read about there in he Hebrews 11? We, um, we, re we read not, not only about the people of God there, but the people of God later on. And God has promised them a new land, the promised land, but standing in the way is Jericho, the walls of Jericho. They're massive, huge. They're impenetrable. 
The people of Jericho can just take pot shots at them. They can't. And God says, well, you're going to march around. They're going to march around the walls. And your weapons are going to be musical instruments. Faith facing impossible odds. They didn't have a chance. But God brings the walls down. And all the people of Jericho will run for their lives. And then we read about Rehab. Probably deserves a sermon all of its own, but Rehab, she's a, she's, she's a prostitute. She's a woman of the night and two spies. She's, she's the one who believes the warning. God's given this city into their hands. You need to surrender to them. No one else is willing to do that. She believes God. Even a God, she, she can't really know who he is, barely. I mean, a God she's just heard about a little bit. But she believes him. And Hebrews commends her for her faith because she gives safety to the spies. And so she's not destroyed. She's, she's saved, even though she barely knows God. And even though that faith must be just, it must have been seemed ridiculous. It must have seemed tiny. But she was facing impossible odds. No chance. No, no chance God's going to rescue me. Look at the state of me. This is my life. God doesn't, doesn't hang around with the likes of me. She, she, she didn't know the stories of Jesus at that time. We know the stories of Jesus we know that Jesus was a, was a friend of tax collectors and sinners, that Jesus went and befriended those who were prostitutes because he wanted to call them into his kingdom. She didn't know that, but she puts that little bit of faith in a God she barely knows, and God rescues her <laughs> because faith facing impossible odds. So I just want to ask you a very simple question this morning because we've covered quite a lot of ground. There's a lot of stuff in there, but is there just one thing there that just applies to you today? that God is saying to you, calling you to faith in him in the situation. Are you facing the end of your life? That's just very real on your mind right now. And you heard the call about what faith consists of, what it looks like facing the end of your life. Or are you facing danger or threat? You put your faith in God. He's got hold of you. He's got hold of his children. You're protected by him. Put your trust in him. Or are you facing, there's something in your life, just impossible odds, and there's just no way through. And you think, wait a minute. God's, God's called me to this, and there's no way through. Would you put your faith in him and allow him to make a way where there seems to be no way? Last verse, Galatians 2.20. It's been up on the screen there. This is Apostle Paul. We're talking about the life of faith here. It says, the life I now live. It's not the life he used to live. That was putting Christians in prison. But the life I now live, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's just bow our heads for a moment and just ask ourselves that simple question. Is that the way I'm li Am I living like that? Not have I got it all together. None of these guys had it all together. Not did I get a good start, because it isn't about how well you start. Not one of the people we read about today had a great start in life. 
Isaac was almost killed by his own father. And Jacob was a trickster, a manipulator. Joseph, well, you know about him, how proud he was, how full of his own importance he was. They did not have a good start. <laughs> Moses murdered a man. Terrible start in life. But that's not how it ended. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. And the call is right now, right where you are, you put your trust in the Son of God, Jesus, who loved you and gave himself for you. To trust him. Lord, help us to do that. And help us to live not by sight, but by faith. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.